Oh, good morning. I don't know why we're not just all in a little semicircle at the front, really. You can come, come forward. I feel a bit lonely up here. <laughs> Knowing most of Milford Baptist Church members, a lot of them may turn up a bit later, <laughs> says he, hoping. Anyway, it's lovely to see you all this morning, and welcome to our Good Friday service. Still some coming in past the walls of Jerusalem. You see, you've got to negotiate all these hazards. <laughs> so I think perhaps, first of all, a big thank you to Christine Sargrove and Anthea Kellen for all, doing all these prayer stations. They're actually really uh, meaningful. Um, I came down here last night to put the chairs out, but I spent the first hour actually going around the prayer stations and contemplating. Uh, at each station, obviously, they've got the scripture highlighted and they've got some visuals as well to help us on our journey. Um, I didn't do the quiz. I was leaving that for the children to do the quiz. But, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, okay. Perhaps I'll do that another time. So, yes, thanks to Christine and Anthea and anyone else who helped that uh, really um, pulled all the stops out. The thing that's rather chilling, especially on Good Friday, is when you go up here and you see perhaps the nail that perhaps pierced our Saviour's hand. You can hear the laying of the hammer into that nail. So it's uh, very moving. So after today's service, um, there is also an opportunity for anyone who wishes to, to join our um, Christian brothers and sisters in Godalming, um, outside, I think, Weatherspoons, not inside Weatherspoons, outside Weatherspoons, <laughs> about 11.30. Um, the Trinity Trust tr team are going to perform a short Easter drama, and uh, there's going to be readings and a reflection before you're invited to tie um, a ribbon onto a large cross. And the cross is going to be stationed near Crown Court. And, and later on, I think there's going to be refreshments available in Godalming Baptist Church in Queen Street from about 12 noon. So if you want to join them, do, do so outside Weatherspoons. <laughs> Uh, perhaps also mention about the sunrise service, those who want to go uh, this coming Sunday at Heaven's Gate. If you don't know where Heaven's Gate is, it's not up there, it's down the end of the road, turn left, go up the road a bit further to find the car park to the Rodborough um, Common, go under the A3, I think, and then up the hill, is that right, Dave? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they more or less got to Heaven's Gate. If you see Dave there with the guitar, you know you've reached the spot. <laughs> so that's from 8 o'clock, I think, onwards. Am I right? On the 8 o'clock. And then followed by the church service. Oh, the, sorry, I should say there's a bonus in that. You get a breakfast if you come back here afterwards. Uh, and then followed by the church service here at 10.30. Come early to get a seat. The music group and singers are going to be leading the singing uh, to sing praises to our risen Christ. So shall we come before God in prayer this morning? Merciful Father, today we remember how your son died on the cross for us. He suffered betrayal, humiliation and mockery for our sake. He was beaten and wounded for our sins. He was crowned with thorns and crucified so that we may be saved. 
our hearts are heavy as we remember his sufferings. And though we mourn today, we find comfort in the hope that his death and resurrection brought to us. Because he died, we have the gift of eternal life. Because he overcame death, we know we are more than conquerors. Thank you, Father, for this ultimate demonstration of love. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. We can have the first slide. If you can read the words in bold, and I'll read the other words. So let us come to the foot of the cross and watch a while. Lord, be with us in this time of your agony. Let us hear the words of scripture and reflect on their meaning. Lord, be with us in this time of your glory. Let us open our hearts to all that Christ achieved in this costly act of self-giving. Lord, be with us in this time of your victory. Now some words from the book of Isaiah, and it's um, worth noting this was written about 700 years before Christ. So it's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 12. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for our sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, 
because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgression, transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. There's a reason why I put the lectern here, by the way, so I can get close to the piano, because I've got to play the piano as well as did there. <laughs> you have to be versatile in this church. So we're going to sing. Uh, there's only a few of us, but I'm sure we can make a good noise. Uh, when I survey the wondrous cross. again dear Jesus we come to you in prayer today on Good Friday remembering in the day that you were tried convicted mocked beaten and crucified we remember how you died and were laid into the tomb amid the sounds of incredible grief fear shock and sorrow Help us, Lord, as we meditate today on your great sacrifice.
your suffering and the pain that you endured for our sake and for the sake of the whole world. In our greatest times of suffering, we realize that we have never suffered as you did. You deserved life, honor, and praise, yet you willingly chose death, dishonor, and ridicule in order to complete God's plan. You could have opened your mouth and with just a few words you could have answered your accusers and proven them to be frauds, hypocrites and liars. Yet you remain silent. You could have called legions of angels and yet you submitted your back to cruel scourges. You could have called down fire from heaven and yet you instead allowed the blood to flow from your hands and feet onto the wood of the cross. You could have called a fiery chariot like Elijah and been taken up into heaven, yet you chose for your lifeless body to be laid down into a cold, dark tomb. Jesus, we are overwhelmed by the depth of your sacrifice. Allow us to look with an open heart toward the cross. Help our knowledge of your suffering and crucifixion journey move from our minds and settle into our hearts. Help us to feel the tension between great sacrifice and great love, between suffering and redemption, between death and life between the fleeting and the eternal. Help us to experience the unseen force of grace and obedience and weep with both joy and sorrow at the great cost. Jesus Christ, we confess our own sins. Have mercy on us. Amen. We're going to sing again that lovely uh, Welsh hymn, Here is Love.
And uh, now Di is going to bring our Bible reading. It's from Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, from verses 32 to 42. And the title of the uh, reading is Jesus Agonizes in the Garden. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you, Di. So a place called Gethsemane. Our Bible passage from Gospel of Mark brings us ever closer to the moment when the Lord Jesus will give his life for all mankind, take upon his shoulders all our sins, past, present and future, as he, the innocent lamb, dies on the cross of Calvary, separated from his beloved Heavenly Father, but being obedient even unto death. So as Jesus approaches that hour, events in his life begin to move forward at an incredible pace. And as these last um, events unfold in our Lord's life, we're allowed to witness some of the most heinous and also some of the most holy events being played side by side. As we join Jesus and his disciples, they're in the midst of an eventful night. They've just finished the Passover celebration. They've left the room where they celebrated the Passover and made their way from Jerusalem down through the Kidron Valley to a place called Gethsemane. On the way to Gethsemane, Jesus discussed with his disciples all those great truths that you can find in uh, the Gospel of John in chapters 14 to 17. He taught them all about heaven, the peace of God, surrender to the Lord, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he prayed the most wonderful and powerful prayer contained in John chapter 17. If you do nothing else today, just take a moment to look at the Gospel of John chapter 17 and read that prayer. All of this occurred as they made their way down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And our text today focuses on what happened when they arrived at Gethsemane. On that night, Gethsemane became more than a garden. 
where Jesus and his men spent some time. On that night, it became, I can't remember which button I have to press. Sorry? A place of pressure, a place of prayer, and a place of priorities. Gethsemane became a place where eternal business was transacted for the glory of God. It was probably a small garden, probably enclosed by a wall, perhaps guarded by a gate. So let's look firstly at the Gethsemane as a place of pressure. Gethsemane is in fact Aramaic in origin and the word actually means olive press. Gethsemane was and is a place where olive trees grew, produced their fruit, and the olives were collected and they'd be placed in a heavy stone press, and the precious olive oil was extracted from the olives under intense pressure. So Jesus and his men arrive at Gethsemane. He leaves eight of the disciples at the gate to the garden, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him and they go deeper into the garden. Why were these men singled out? Well, it seems they were the leaders amongst the group. They would see and hear things that would serve them as they would go on to lead the other disciples in the future. So Jesus gave these three disciples a time of special ministry so that it could be used to help others to grow. On this night, our Lord would enter the olive press and the sweet oil of grace and submission to the Father's will would be extracted from his life. For Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane would be a place of intense pressures. And that night, Gethsemane was a place of intense emotional and spiritual trial. Jesus knew what was coming. But as he looked into the cup he was about to drink, he was astonished and overcome with horror. No other human has ever experienced such anguish of soul as that which came upon him. In verses 33 and 34 it says, He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed by sorrow to the point of death. So Jesus tells Peter, James and John to stay and keep watch while he goes further on into the garden. Now Jesus knows about the pain. He knows he's about to suffer intense physical pain. He knows he's about to become sin on the cross. He knows he's about to be judged by his heavenly father. He knows that for the first time in eternity there will be a breach in the unbroken relationship that he has enjoyed with his father. He knows that he will be abandoned by his nation, his followers, and even his heavenly father will have to turn away as Jesus takes on our sin. He knows he's about to be tried, rejected, and condemned to death by the very people he came to save. He knows that the most powerful go human government on earth at that time is about to turn its fury on him. And when we read Luke's account 
of the Lord's suffering in Gethsemane, he recalls this. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now Luke is a doctor. He doesn't explain how Jesus' sweat became as drops of blood. He may have been speaking illustratively that the sweat resembled blood dripping from a wound. Although it's relevant to note that doctors have recorded that there's a very rare phenomenon where a person can actually sweat blood. It's called hematidrosis and it can occur in some individuals when they're in a highly charged emotional state and effectively it can result in hemorrhaging into the sweat glands and in these circumstances the skin becomes fragile and tender and droplets of blood can ooze out. It's also worth remembering that while Jesus Christ is God in the flesh he is just a frail human body his body knew weariness, it felt pain, it got hungry, it got sleepy, it got tired. It was just a human body. And as Jesus prayed that night, the emotional and spiritual pressures that came upon Jesus were almost more than his body could handle. But there were also spiritual pressures. <laughs> Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. Satan knew that the cross would sound his death knell. Satan knew that Calvary was the ultimate goal of God. Satan knew that at Calvary, Jesus would defeat sin and Satan. And that is why Satan had been trying to stop the cross ever since man first sinned in the Garden of Eden. That's why he tempted Cain to kill Abel. That's why he tried repeatedly to corrupt the bloodline from which the Messiah would come. That is why he moved Herod to kill all the babies in Bethlehem when the wise men came looking for the king of the Jews. That is why Satan tempted Jesus to take the crown by bypassing the cross. Satan tried his best to kill Jesus at Gethsemane because then history would just largely forget Jesus. At best, he'd just be known as a, perhaps a kind and gentle, good man. So thank God that Jesus Christ was victorious in Gethsemane and overcame the devil so that he might go to the cross and die for our sins. Let's now look at uh, Gethsemane as a place of prayer. Jesus prostrated himself on the ground and began to call on his heavenly father. He addressed him first as Abba. Now Abba is an Aramaic term. It's equivalent to our use of the word daddy or dad. It's a word of intense intimacy. It was a word used in Jewish households of the day, but it was a word that no Jew would ever use when speaking to God. But Jesus enjoyed such intimacy with his father that he felt most comfortable calling him daddy. But in him, we have the same privilege. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption 
whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And through Jesus, we have the same privileges that Jesus enjoyed. We are brought into a place of absolute intimacy with the Father God. And as Jesus prayed with, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take away this cup from me. And when you read this prayer, don't think for a moment that Jesus is trying to get out of going to the cross. He was born for that purpose. He was, after all, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. No one was forcing him to go to the cross. He told the Pharisees this in John chapter 10, verses 17 to 18. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my father. So think about it. Jesus is about to become sin on the cross. For the first time in eternity, he will be separated from his father. He will be forsaken, abandoned, and judged by his father. Thoughts of drinking that most bitter of cups must have overwhelmed the mind of the sinless son of God. That cup represented all the wrath and hatred of God against sin. That cup symbolized the full undiluted wrath of God that was about to be poured out on Jesus. And while the knowledge of all that he was about to suffer physically must have terrified him, he was not afraid of the pain of the cross. But the very thought of becoming sin and being judged and abandoned by God was repugnant to the sinless Son of God. And as Jesus concluded his prayer, he expressed absolute obedience to the Father's will. He did not want to be separated from his Father. He did not desire to experience his Father's wrath. He did not want to become sin. But he was willing to do it because it was the Father's plan for his life. And finally, let's look at Gethsemane as a place of priorities. As Jesus prayed in the garden that night, two sets of priorities are being played out. And these priorities reveal the contrast between the sinless saviour and sinful men. Jesus had one overriding, overarching priority in his life. And that was to live to do the will of his father. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 38, it says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The cross of Calvary and the death of Christ on that cross was never in question. Jesus came to this world to die for sin and sinners. You and me, every other human being. That is what he did. His father's will was all that he lived for. He completely fulfilled the father's plan on Calvary. And that's the truth we can all rejoice in today. And while Jesus is praying and resting with the greatest load any man ever tried to carry, what are the disciples doing? Sleeping. 
Jesus had commanded them to watch, but they are tired and they fall asleep. Our Lord's priority was the will of his Father. Their priority was themselves and their own needs. Jesus returns, he finds them asleep. And when he does, he speaks to Peter. Notice in this instance, he calls him Simon. That was his old name. Simon means to hearken or to listen. Peter hadn't listened to the Lord and he certainly wasn't acting like the new man, Peter. He wasn't acting like the rock. Peter just boasted that he was willing to die with Jesus. But now he can't even stay awake while Jesus prays just for one hour. And he goes away again to pray twice more. And each time he returns, he finds them still, still sleeping. So the passage teaches us that his disciples walked under a different set of priorities than he did. Jesus lived to fulfill his Father's will. His disciples and we live to gratify ourselves. Imagine how their failure to stand with him in this hardest of hours must have added to Jesus' pain and sense of isolation and loneliness. I think if we take anything from this passage, it's quite clear it, Jesus achieved victory because he was vigilant. He was diligent in prayer. He leaned on his father and his father gave him the victory. So we can thank God for the glimpse into the events in Gethsemane. And what a joy it is to know that our Saviour fought all the battles for us and he prevailed every time. And if this passage demands anything from us at all, it demands our worship, it demands that we should just fill our hearts with his presence and his praise. It should make us want to lift our hands to praise him. It should make us want to rejoice in songs and shouting. It should fill us with a desire to worship and exalt him. And if we're like the disciples, this passage should cause us to awake out of our sleep and get busy for the Lord. This is an hour that calls for action. It's not a time for God's people to sleep. Amen. We're going to sing again. It's an old-fashioned hymn, The Old Rugged Cross.
may we never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May we see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost. Undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May we never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Lord Jesus, help us to follow in your steps, for by your innocent suffering and death, you have opened up the way to the Father for us. Lord, if we came here with many burdens, we go with one Saviour. If we came here with emptiness, and yet we have now been filled. If we came here with stories of defeat and despair, we go with the one who has triumphed for us. If we came frustrated and fearful, we go with the one who will always be there. You live and reign now and forever. Amen.